We are back with yet another commissioned uh, podcast on Bald Move. This was another community commission uh, that several Bald Movers pitched together and uh, pooled their cash and uh, made it happen. Uh, This is the 2007 Coen Brothers film, No Country for Old Men, uh, written and directed by the the Joel and Ethan Coen. Uh, Got got a little bit of gold for them. They won Best Picture that year in the Oscars and also Best Director. Uh, and went head to head with uh, another kind of period piece western type feel. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's "There Will Be Blood" went head to head and, and oh. beat him. Hmm. Okay, but I a captive bolt right that. through their forehead. Uh, yeah, it's based we... on a book. Based on a book by uh, an American guy named Cormac McCarthy. Yep, I've decided I'm going to read at least "No Country for Old Men," if not his other one, "The Road," because some uh, discussion with the commissioners. By the way, I'm going to shout those people out—the ones that came together and chipped in their hard-earned money to make this happen. You should all be thankful for if you're Coen Brothers fans or "No Country for Old Men" fans. Keith Alejandro, Jen, Alex M, Matt the Reamer, Stephen, my dear Deadly, uh, Andy G, Jefferson B, Coco, Two MC. Frequent contributor at that mysterious Coco. Uh, mm. Gary Turco, Jasmine P., Andrew K., Connor B., Martin K., Joffrey Bowser. Thank you very much. Uh, a lot of people came together to make this happen. Uh, we have a fair bit of feedback from a lot of those people coming at the tail end of the podcast. Jim, what did you think? Is this the first time you've seen this movie? No. No, I had seen it before. This is exactly the second time I've seen this movie. Uh, it might be my second time as well. Uh, I, I remember seeing this movie about four years ago. It was a, I think, a summer evening, and I didn't have anything in particular to do, and I decided I wanted to check out another Coen Brothers film. I watched this movie, and it really knocked me on my ass. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of surprising. Yeah, from from the Coens, honestly. And and uh, I considered this up with Fargo as you know they're one of their greatest films yeah uh, i think fargo's a lot funnier uh and that's kind of what i know the coens for is mm. their their comedy mixed with uh you know they they do some dramatic stuff too but it's more comedy for me. i don't think this film was devoid of humor not it's entirely just very but, spiced with darkness right this is no raising arizona oh, it's shit, no big no. big lebowski no no it's not even a fargo like fargo's much funnier um yeah. so yeah it, it's different for me it's not it's not really in the same running uh i yeah like i said i i i i see what you're saying but i don't i guess i don't think of the uh, coens as primarily comedy guys Hmm. Uh, i can see why you'd think that but uh so i i feel like it's it's their best work maybe maybe undeniably their best visual work like i put the, the other thing is i like this as it taps into a godfathering place where the performances are so good and the dialogue is so good and the landscapes are so riveting that you yeah. will watch, you know, a man stalk a bloody dog for two minutes. Uh, and and you don't even need music. I mean, there there's there, a grand total of 16 minutes of music in this entire film. Right. Half uh, of that is a mariachi band trying to wake up Josh Brolin <laughs> off the sidewalk. Right, which they didn't even plan on putting in the movie, but Brolin fell asleep, and they were just like, <laughs> there you right, go. what are you going to do? Let's do this. Uh, all captured on film. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of people make it a fact that this has a no soundtrack soundtrack, and but how effective it is, because, you know, the some of the menacing sounds, like the tracker effect, 
the footsteps on hardwood floors, the shat they're just as effective at setting the mood as, as anything like, uh, yeah, you know, those, those footsteps and those shadows are Anton sugars calling card as much as is right. The, the, the calling card of the shark and jaws. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I again, I think the film is incredible, and I do too. Yeah, I also have come to appreciate on the second rewatch that this story, this film, the first time you watch it, you think this is the film of uh, Lewin, what's his last name? Llewellyn Moss. Yeah, Llewellyn Moss, and you know his his getting you know one up on Anton Sugar, right. Uh, and then you, you come to appreciate, uh, and I think that's one of the reasons it knocks you on your ass is because it completely subverts what you think is going to happen. It's more the story of Bell. Exactly. Of the Sheriff Bell. This yeah. is the story of a man coming to grips with his own mortality and his place in the world and the fact yep. that his generation is being passed beyond, behind. And and it also, it's it's not a myopic look. Like Tommy Lee Jones doesn't necessarily get the last say in it. When he, right. I, I think the, one of the key scenes is when he goes visits his uncle and his uncle is like, this country has always been violent. Yeah. It's and, nothing new. And, and it's vanity to assume that you can change it. Right. And that's the thing. Like, you know, <laughs> I think it's interesting that a lot of the violence in this movie stems from the drug trade and the war on same. Yeah. And the violence his father, his, his uncle's talking about was, you know, cowboys and Indian stuff, which was another piece of violence based on large part and, uh, you know shitty government policies right uh and you know like what are the are the 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 white men going to stop settling the west no of course not are people going to stop you know wanting drugs and wanting to make money off that no of course not these are just yeah individuals can't do much against the the, the forces that are raid uh against them but i I like that and the fact that he in starts with the narration. There's mm -hmm. a lot of his stuff where, you know, uh, I think that a, a lot of discussion, the dreams at the end, it makes a lot of sense uh, after you've seen the, the ballad of Llewellyn uh, Moss. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a great movie. What do you, yeah, absolutely. I mean that, that, that idea of changing times and morality is embedded in deeply in the movie. And there's also, you know, another theme, um, which I think is fate. And I guess we, sh we can talk in more detail about sure. both of these, but like, yeah, spoilers for everything, by the way. So, right. Well, as, as always, <laughs> if you haven't watched the movie, this is definitely one I think everyone should see. This is a, this yeah. is one of those must see movies right up there with the Godfather. And I mean, any Oscar winning film you could say that about, but this one in particular, in particular, Lily, uh, so yeah, spoilers go. Right. So like, like that, that morality idea is ultimately, I think Tommy Lee Jones, bell, the sheriff does come to terms with it. You know, he has a couple discussions with, I think someone, I, I think his father. Uh, and then at the end he has the discussion with his wife about his dreams. The old man in the wheelchair was his uncle, his uncle. Okay. Yes. Uh, who sheriffed for him underneath, uh, his grandfather, who right. is one of those old timers, didn't carry a gun. Yeah, um, which shows that Tommy Lee Jones didn't necessarily know what he was talking about when he comes down to the old timers. <laughs> sure, um, but ultimately he does come to terms with it at the end. With when you consider his dreams, right? He's got mm -hmm. these two dreams. The one um, is is kind of very straightforward and shows the the beginning of his journey, and the second one is kind of the end of his journey, where. He's come to terms with this idea of of sort of the inevitability of 
of just the path that the world is going to take and there's not much you can do to change it or even protect people from it right from that fate um and from the people who would do harm to them uh and then the idea that you know it's been like this and it's always going to be like this and the the best you can hope for is a small comfort inside of the larger cold wilderness right Um, and I, i think that's him his at least subconsciously expressing the idea that He's come to terms with it, and I, I think that there's like that. Those, those two, these two dreams, this tale of these two dreams, is kind of like a parallel to the movie itself. He talks about the first dream yeah. about the money and connect with his father, but that's just like an offhand passing reference. Like that's not important, right? Then his father going forward in this cold land to make a, a warm place for him to go to, you know, very much in the vein of you know the Christ promising his followers that he's going to heaven to make, you know, prepare rooms for them. Right. Uh, but that's the telling thing, the, the audience not to, not to worry about the plot. Of yeah. The, like the this movie, money, this, this thing about yeah. the, the bag of money, no one gives a shit. Right. What this thing is about is about fate and about dealing with your own mortality. And yeah. I don't know that I agree that Tommy Lee Jones takes a lot of comfort because the way I don't know that he's comforted. I think he just comes to terms with it. Ah. Like he understands that his performance is that's a man that 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 really whatever revelation he got from this dream, he's still really bothered by it. Right, and it's kind of mixed up in his retiring too. Like, sure. is he is he giving up? Is he? I mean, is he able to be like the fire that his that his you know grandfather or whatever yeah. set out to? to make in the wilderness or is he just going to give up and let the wilderness and the cold kind of take him over? And, and I know a lot of people, especially men, they see the retirement as kind of the end of their life. Like this, sure. I had a purpose. I was preparing to be a man that could provide to people. And now I did yeah. provide for people and now I'm no longer working. I'm not contributing to, and I've never, I've, I guess I've maybe this is because I'm a lazy beatnik, but I've always been like, man, I can't wait till I can just not have to work. And then that's when my true, that's kind of like when my true life will begin because now I can really pursue my interests and hobbies and, you know, my education on my own terms and I don't have to compromise. And I can't, I don't understand the guys who are bored in retirement. And, but I do feel like that maybe, uh, that's the other thing is like maybe if I was a, a quarterback for an NFL team or if I was a right. lawman who did like big important things that that how do you replace that that thrill? But Tommy yeah, Lee Jones I, character doesn't seem like he was really addicted like an adrenaline junkie. No, no, he doesn't. Uh, like like they portrayed his entering that hotel room where he was morally certain that Sugar was in mm-hmm. as like the height of bravery. Right. Like that is a man doing something stupid because he knows he must. Yeah. Uh, and then we as the audience know that for whatever reason, Sugar was in that room and spares his life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, you know, we see the brush of death that Tommy Lee Jones never did. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting and, and adds a huge level of suspense. And now It's also super ambiguous. I have a lot of questions about the ambiguities in this movie because there are a lot of them. Yeah, uh, and I I remember so like I felt like if you watched this movie enough, you would eventually have all the answers because I felt like I had a lot of questions the first time I watched the movie that I remembered, and then as the second mm-hmm. time I'm like, oh, well, I missed this because I didn't know the significance of it. I feel like you watch this four or five times, most of these ambiguities will go away, but there might. I think what, there which are ones a few are you nagging about? ones. Um, 
So I, I, I want to stay. We'll get to those. I, okay. I want to get to the ambiguity later. There's I want to stay on the, the themes. Too. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, but let's go over to fate because I feel like as much as this movie is about morality and this sort of no country for old men type thing, I think it's also about fate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's represented. Honestly, I think you can almost call sugar the, the force of fate here mm-hmm. uh, in this movie in the, in the way that, you know, it's it's a coin flip a lot of the time that determines whether or not he's going to kill you. And he, right. you know, he absolves himself of guilt for killing you by flipping this coin. Yeah, the path I took to you is the same as the coin. Right. So he, he leaves it up to the universe right. whether or not he's going to kill you. And, it, it, and he, it, you know, I, I think uh, disingenuously doesn't feel the guilt that way as much as you know as much as this man can feel guilt well in any way. so do you think because i remember when we in season one of fargo we had eric on for some analysis and he talked right. about um you know these cohen's unstoppable supernatural force and how that and that's a recurring that's him, yeah. and, and you you mentioned he's the force of fate i saw a lot of analysis saying that he is essentially the grim reaper Okay. That there, like he, that you know, he definitely has this mission he's trying to accomplish. And I saw one piece of really smart analysis that said, that, like the the Anton has three different classifications of people. There's the people that are his mission that mm-hmm. he shoots with his gun, and like there's very right. intent. There are the obstacles in his way, which get the captive bolt gun. Like if it's a lock, yeah. pop. If it's a person he needs a car, pop. And then there's the ones that are everyone else that he just kind of walks among. And that's where he kind of takes the Reaper role where it's it's fate. I'm going to flip a coin and it's up the coin whether you live or die. Right. And I I think, you know, obviously you can interpret it however you want. Uh, I, I, I also see a lot of like comparisons to cattle and people as cattle like you. There you go. You, you this this captive bolt pistol is mm-hmm. used to kill, and, and it, Tommy Lee Jones tells the story. Right. Um, How and, that can and, go wrong. <laughs> and I don't know if he ever actually makes the connection. I like, don't two think and he two. did. And I think that's part of why he feels like he's failed. Right. Um, yeah. He's over. He I'm overmatched. I. I. I he, can't make the leap to treating a person, a yes. human being, like a cow. Exactly. Even though I just described the device that's the central mystery of how this guy's killing him without a trace. Right. So I don't, I don't know how that fits into like this obstacle format that they've that that article set up. Um, well, but yeah, it's, it's, obje- it's objectification of humans. Like you're treating them like a bolt. You're treating them like a, a piece of meat. Right. Or like, I mean, when I say sure. bolt, I mean a lock. You're treating them just like a physical impediment. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like whether bolt. you treat them like cow or uh, it, it's all about the objectification of a human being. Sure. Um, it, but the the reason I go to him being fate here and not like some force of evil that is that is ruled by fate necessarily is because mm-hmm. he's uh, because of the coin flip. And also, um, you know, Josh Brolin's character, Llewellyn Moss, stumbles onto this money. Right. It's not it's not the choice that he makes to find this money. Now he does make choices later on, but his journey is started by a flip of a coin, sure. a, a, a chance of fate. Um, and then in the end, like it's, it's impossible for Moss to resist his fate. He's killed by it in the end right. because it all sets in motion, sugar coming after him. and off camera reinforcing the point that that part of the plot doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, and then finally fate turns on Anton in in the final moments sure. where he he kills Carla Jean, he slaughters her like a like cattle, and then and, well, and, okay, and, that's ambiguous. And I want to I want to get your opinion on okay. whether or not you think he actually killed her. 
I don't think it's ambiguous. I think it's implied in the movie. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, ambiguous at all. I think okay. you, you, they. It's ambiguous in the same way that whether Leonardo DiCaprio is still in the dream at the Inception is. Like if you've okay. been paying attention to the film, right? You can sh- you can the the best argument you can make for her surviving is well we didn't see her die, right? But then you got to answer but the all question the other things of, in the movie say she did. Why did Anton Sugar walk out and check his feet? Right. If you've been watching when he kills Wells, I think it is mm-hmm. uh, Woody Harrelson's character. He lifts his boots up onto the bed to avoid getting blood on them. And we also, when he, man sh- when he shoots the, the cartel member in the bathtub, he shuts the curtain. Like he's, con- I mean, obviously he can't avoid it all the time, but he's an right. experienced killer, and he he's very cautious about that. Thing. But specifically, he takes his boots off the floor, yes, so he won't get blood on his boots. Now he's checking his boots for blood at the end. I think he's killed Carla Jean. Uh, the big ambiguity here, I guess, is whether or not Anton himself dies, because because in a t- cruel twist of fate, he gets killed or maybe not well and also in he car seemed, I, I felt like he seemed troubled by that whole exchange like this is the first time probably in his life where someone refused to make the call and then he did right. he, he went ahead yeah. and then took matters in his own hands the way carla jean said you have to which by the way yeah. uh kelly mcdonald from uh, uh boardwalk empire that's nucky's oh, wife right. Sure Playing like yeah. this hill jack, simple girl with a pretty convincing Texas draw, I thought. Yeah. She's yeah, Scottish. She was good. Uh, th- that she forced to confront the, his, his, his internal code, which we know from Woody Harrelson's character, Wells, is super important to him. Uh, it's almost like fate immediately took revenge upon him. Right, some instant karma. Yeah, sort of thing. and like that, I think, was really troubling to him. And it's, it would be interesting to see what would become of this man after this movie. I want to say he dies, unless he goes to a hospital. He's either, he either dies or gets arrested. In my he's opinion, a, yeah. I mean, because he know. has a grievously injured. He's got arm. a compound fracture, right? Like that's that something shit you that can't was, fix yourself. Was like you'd have to amputate your arm. Like in previous, up until the last hundred years, with modern surgical techniques and antibiotics, right. you were a dead man. Now, on the other exactly. hand, this guy has access to pretty extensive self-surgery so could he numb his arm up and set the bone and pump himself full of antibiotics or go to like what uh Llewellyn did go to mexico and go into a black market doctor right uh it's it's tough to imagine him getting there do you think this uh, is kind of like uh i wonder i mean it, it seems it it seems impossible but was this like a jewels from pulp fiction moment for him where he's out of the game yeah, no, he's going no. to walk the earth now. Oh, no. No? I don't think that man ever gets out of the game. I mean, I wouldn't think the Jules would get out of the game, too, if you'd, like, if you'd have seen his... Yeah. Po- it, it, think, think about if you'd followed all of his adventures with Vince, uh-huh. uh, and, and then the movie ended with him getting shot and walking out and saying, that was an act of God, and then you never saw the aftermath of that. You, I, I feel like that's how we left Sugar. But we just didn't see the conversation in the diner where he resolves to be a hobo. <laughs> right. Well, and he would have no conversation. It'd just be something he would, you know, maybe he flips a coin and it's like, you know, I'm going to call right. it. And if I'm right, then I'll stay. I mean, that this is all completely it, outside all the text. conjecture. Right. But I think the movie asks you to entertain this question of like what becomes of a man who seems like the only reason he's living his life is because of this code. Of dividing people into yeah. humans and cattle and bolts and innocence. And when that fails, and then he's immediately smacked for it, what does that do to and you? And he's so used to using fate as a tool to his own ends, uh, or even possibly being fate, when fate turns on him, 
now how does he react? Sure. Uh, so I, I I don't know whether he's dead or he gets out of out of the killing the assassination game or he gets arrested. I don't know, but ultimately I think it's that cruel twist of fate that makes it. I also like the fact that they they show Josh Brolin's uh, a Moss character as a hunter, and they go right from. I mean, my God, the. The, the way Tommy Lee Jones' monologue sets this film up about how he's considering retirement because if he goes after too many guys like Sugar, then you have to essentially say, yep, I'm ready to become part of this world. And I feel like that would put one soul at hazard. Immediately cutting to Anton Sugar choking this cop and the look on his face. Yeah. Like, oh, God, that guy's face. That was like one hell of a character introduction. And then yeah. him getting, like, this guy, he, he says, hold still, sir. And he, he captive bolts this guy's forehead to get his car. And they immediately cut to Josh Brolin hunting deer. And he's whispering to the deer, like, hold still. Mm-hmm. And then the deer doesn't. And it looks like he got a, instead of a clean death, he got... And it's, like, this is all a metaphor that now Josh Brolin's character is going to be hunted by this thing right. that sees him as no more than a deer... And once, you know, it's like, hey, if you cooperate with me, you'll get a clean death. If not, you go down hard. Yeah. I, I, I'm i not I'm not certain on exactly what they're trying to say with all of these different themes. Because, you know, the hunter and the hunted do flip every so often in this film. Right. Uh, by the end, Josh Brolin seems to be the hunter. Yeah. Uh, once again. Well, and, humans are the most dangerous game. So. It's true. <laughs> no mere deer. Uh, speaking of the hunting scenes, what do you make of what I see as parallels being drawn between Anton and Llewellyn where Llewellyn in the beginning is hunting this deer. Right. And he misses this shot. Right. This shot that as a hunter, he should probably be able to make, you know, right. it's a tough shot. It's a, I'm not, not going to say it's an easy shot, but you get the impression that he has made this shot many times before. Sure. And then later in the movie, when Anton is driving across this bridge and he rolls down his window and takes a shot at a bird and misses point blank, just well, here's the thing. fucking misses that bird. So I rewound that. Uh huh. There is like a blood spray from the bird, but then the bird flies off in almost okay. exactly the same way that the deer took a hit but was made and then in, ran. Yeah, and then uh, I don't. I mean, that's one of the things where I'm not sure what to make of that. But it's in there intentionally. I mean, why else put that in the movie? They're I think drawing it's just to show that, like, yeah, it's a draw parallels and the fact that. Um, so, if I really think about this, Anton Sugar pursues death as a means of of its own. Like, even when he doesn't have to, he likes to play these games where he can shoot something. Whereas Josh Brolin is hunting this deer for food, and after he won it, after he he you know, winged it, mm-hmm. he goes to track it down to, you know, uh, number one, give it a clean death, and number two, then, you know, drag it back for food for his family. In contrast to Sugar, who is just trying to kill something, wings right. it and doesn't, you know, like whether he that bird lives or dies, whether he hit the shot, missed a shot, he doesn't really give a shit. Yeah. But, you I know, what so. does that I mean, mean I... on a large... And that's right. the other thing. This is another film where you could really get up your own ass. Oh, yeah. Uh, and introduce themes that probably are not even there. Yeah, and there's this idea of whether or not you can control fate. Um, or or whether or not you're ruled by fate, I guess. And, like, yeah. maybe it's paralleling something there with, like... You know, the two different characters sort of being opposite sides of it. Yeah. I, I'm not sure, but it, it is... It was a puzzling thing for me in the movie. Why does Moss go back with a gallon of 
gallon jug of water. It's because he's a decent human being, which ultimately is the thing that gets him killed. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> right? Right. I mean, it's it's sort of a little bit of old country in him, or old man in him. Huh. So that he... I mean, that's the thing. So would you take this money? Yeah. 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 I'm pretty sure I would, too. I, I don't see any reason not to. It's $2 million in the 70s. That's a shit ton of money. Uh, 1980, if you want to get technical. Is it 1980? <laughs> yeah. Because I thought that they definitely did. They say 58 and 22 years, and there's a tombstone with 1980 on it. and like That's 78, though, right? No, 58 plus 22. It's 19, 1980, rather. Oh, yes, yeah, it's 1980, exactly. And there's a tombstone that says okay. eight, died 1980. So There you go. That's her, her mother that got shot. Right. Right. But she got shot or did she die of cancer? I thought she got shot. I thought she some oh, really? I thought she I thought she succumbed to cancer. That would but be I don't incredible know how timing. Long, I, I assume that she got killed with the you know, the, the, the Mexican, Mexican gentleman. cartel or yeah. whatever. Yeah. That Could they that, that that she un, unwittingly talked too much. Again, and, another ambiguity, right? Like they don't explain that. Right, right. I do feel like that there is. Like I feel like those are ones that you probably could answer if you went back and and watched it because there's a lot. You know, there's right. a few people that were talking about how they. You know, for example, um, you have to pay attention. But when you know, uh, you because know, he was like, well, how did they meet Moss in the middle of the night and just happen to be there at the same time? Whereas if you look. The cartel had come back and like cleaned up that site, and like you know, there's a new shotgun blast in the window where the guy who wanted Agua is killed, and they're and they clearly taking the drugs. Like, they're taking the drugs. They're yeah. clearly laying in wait to see who comes back. You know, they'd done the same tracking job he'd right. done and found the money, uh, or found that the money was missing. So, but that was, I mean, all that stuff is awesome too. Like his stalking the dead man, and then how cautious he was waiting to see if he'd moved in a certain given period of time. And then the really awesome scene of these guys running him down at the break of dawn and this pickup truck. Yeah. Uh, you know, fugitive style. He's running from this runaway train and he's he got to shoot the dog at the end. It's, yeah, yeah. Like it's, and, and you, they really build up this Llewellyn to be this badass, And then and they do so many easy, like very quick, you know, interesting things to convey how good he is at what he does. Like the idea that he wouldn't just try and fire this wet gun, right? Like right. he knows he's got to, he's got to clean out the chamber. He's right. got to make sure there's no debris in it. Right. Uh, like all, all the little stuff he does. Yeah. And you know, that, that, that he picks up his spent shells probably because he makes his own ammunition. Like sure. there's or a lot he of just stuff doesn't want to litter. But, Maybe. Yeah. But yeah, I, I thought that was all good too. And they set this up to where it's like, wow, this is really seeing kind of these equals and opposites uh, uh, tracking right. each other. And, and they sometimes one outsmarts the other, sometimes the other outsmart, but they, they set up this. And then, then about the time where Car, uh, Carly Jean, Carla Jean says he can take all comers. Like you're really solidified in your mind that, okay, Llewellyn is going to regulate. Right. And then almost right. immediately smash cut to the screaming at the hotel where he's lying there dead. Yeah. And it's already done. And, and you know, Tommy Lee Jones is like, oh, this is good. there's going to be this big shootout. And you're going to they subvert all that. They do. Yeah. They don't actually show a lot of that kind of stuff uh, in this movie. There are some one on one fights, which I'll talk about, you know, in a bit. Mm-hmm. But real quickly, going back to the the cancer thing or, or the death of the mother there. I, I really feel like there's no country for cancer in this movie unless that's why she died. Because, hmm. like, I don't know why they would mention her cancer at all. I thought it was unless just it that killed her later. Maybe she's the type that says she's got the cancer, but she doesn't really. 
But where does that come into play? Like in the plot? Hmm. Makes her careless. Or just I, I mean, they're they're, <laughs> okay. they're painting a know. certain like throughout the movie. They're painting a certain picture of this woman. They are. She's real annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe can't have given her cancer is the. Uh, way that they humanize her somehow but she didn't seem maybe like i've seen people dying of cancer like literally yeah. within days and she does not look like that type of person did so, she mention something about a, a ventilator or or a some kind of oxygen thing that she, she didn't have with her i don't think so no okay there's talk of like uh, anton having like you know the one sheriff in the beginning was saying he might have asthma because he's got some kind of tank and hose <laughs> well, going sure. up his sleeve yeah, yeah. And, but yeah, I don't I don't remember okay i thought maybe when she was in the car going to the airport she'd mention that but i could, could be wrong be. she was bitching about you know not having not knowing anybody not having a house to go to yeah. Uh, I also, you know, the other thing about the kind of slow pleasures of this film is like watching Tommy Lee Jones drawing police work oh yeah and and he's just, so good at it too. Yeah, yeah. He's and, just casually good at and it, and very in much the same way the lead of uh, Fargo uh, was too. Uh, what was her name? Uh, oh, the, um, yeah, yeah. The chief. Uh huh. Shit, I can't remember her name. Marge. Yeah, Marge Gunderson. Right. The 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 same way that she's just like casually, you because know, I think that we are. Um, ingrained especially if you're in the coast of the country to hear a southern accent and just assume they're fucking stupid sure whereas you know shows like justified and this subvert that because you've got i mean his sheriff's deputy seems like he's kind of a dipshit uh-huh. but then again he's also doesn't have the experience uh that tommy lee jones like tommy Lee jones no one would call him dumb and he's just going through right. and effortlessly reconstructing this stuff and picking up on details this other kid's not and showing but i i i don't know because i've got a little bit of drawl in me i uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I spent uh, a couple years of my teenage years in Central Texas as uh, as a walnut faced sheriff. So, <laughs> not at all. But no? like okay. I um, and my brother and sister have noticeably more Southern twang because they were younger and more impressionable, and their accents drifted a hell of a lot more than mine did. So, like I, I don't know. Like I, I know, I know, I know a lot of Southern smart people. Sure, um, sure. I mean, you know, accent is not necessarily an indicator right. of intelligence. No, but I do feel like a lot of the country assumes it is. And sure, it's not just that. Sure. You also hear, like, this outrageous Bronx accent, and you think they're dumb fucks, too. Yeah, I mean, it comes along with a certain way of life, this sort of no, uh, this sort of old Western life feel, right? You get You get the idea when you hear that accent that that area hasn't progressed much beyond that mm-hmm. sort of civilization. But right. in actuality, they have. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, that's sort of a lament of Tommy Lee Jones here in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the other thing about, you know, the, the slow sort of understated pacing of this movie is to, to go along with the music is how well it works in kind of conveying the landscape, like intertwined with the landscape, like this idea of very little sound in this movie really works well for me. It, it creates an atmosphere that I don't feel in. A lot of other movies. It's, it's it sells the isolation too. Yeah, like when Moss is out hunting in the mountains, it's like there's not a fucking soul around. Yeah, you just hear the report which of the prob- rifle, which is and- probably why the drug dealers picked that spot as the way to, to <laughs> right. do their deal, right? Yep. Um, I also. So, what do you make of the fact that coins are prominent in this film? Both as yeah. when Antoine's flipping it, and there was a, a, some analysis about. Um, 
talking about his quarter of like if you there's also another meaning of the word quarter which is to show like mercy or to stay in execution like when you say give the enemy no quarter right that means you're not whereas he's literally giving his victims quarter yeah i thought that i don't know if that was intentional but i thought that was cool but the other prominent use of coins is as tools to open especially vents is there some kind of connection there what what did you say? So there's two. The, the, if you think of the times you see coins in a movie, it's either Antoine flipping it mm-hmm. or someone Antoine usually using a dime because because Llewellyn had his knife. The Antoine noticeably uses a dime to work the screws of the air. The, the right. Vent. Well, a quarter's too fat. Well, just <laughs> but is there is there some is there, there's some association with that? And that's also what Tommy Lee Jones had kind of tipped them off when he was in the room. Right, he, he saw the dime and the screws. The dime yeah. was laying there. Um, is there some I. Other than just the character being associated with dimes, that kind of bothered me. And like, what am I not getting here? Right. You got any ideas on that? Uh, I don't. I do like the quarter thing uh, in its multiple meanings. And I'm pretty sure that had to be running through their head at some point during right. the creation of this film. But I, I really love the way that they have the coin, um, th- that they make the coin ominous in the beginning. Because the first coin flip works out for the guy. And you get the impression that something very, very bad is going to happen to him. Yeah, and the man you, is you, aware of that. You understand that he's going to die. Yeah, um, and if and... if this coin flip doesn't go his way, sure. And so we, as an audience, go, uh, th- "This is a very ominous thing." Oh, that this tension. coin flip is. Yeah, and again, no music. It's just right. Antoine's just not putting up with this guy and his bullshit and his explanations and his justifications and uh-huh. uh huh. And, and so that first flip, you're. You don't get you don't get to see the outcome, right? Right. And so I know that this is the difference between the books and the movies, but with Carla Jean, you actually like she does call it in the book apparently. Okay, because I, I I don't I didn't delve into the differences between the book and because I haven't seen the book. And... I scratched the surface on it. Okay, and it seems like there were very few. Like this is a very faithful adaptation. Yeah, except in a few crucial. I guess the ways. hotel scene. There was a, a, a viewer that wanted us to discuss that, but I I didn't even put include that part of the feedback because I've not read the book and yeah, me. Either. I don't feel it's I don't feel right to just like read a Wikipedia synopsis and then be like, oh well, here's the you know yeah like, that's. But I found it interesting that they don't actually ever show you the aftermath of a coin flip gone wrong, a coin flip that doesn't work out for the victim. How many coin flips are there? Just one. Just that one. I mean, well, there's two, but Carla Jean refuses to call it in the okay, movie. Okay, I thought maybe there was a third that... I don't but, think Yeah, so. I think you're right. I think he... Because he doesn't, he doesn't give Woody Harrelson the, the opportunity. No, he just shoots, he just shoots him, him. <laughs> when the phone rings. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm a little curious why they didn't include that in the same way that the book does, because then you get the aftermath of the coin flip, right? Like, Carla Jean calls it, she doesn't call it correctly, and she dies. I'm actually... I like I, from that description. I like the movies better because Carla Jean sticks to her guns, and Antoine has to compromise on his principles. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I like, like it thematically better. I just don't. It doesn't feel as satisfying with the coin necessarily. Okay, yeah. From, from a, a storytelling, perspective, I see what you're right? saying. I see what you're saying. But I do like. I'm. I'm actually that surprised sort of that's three. a difference in the book. Is like wow. I I feel like that's yeah. on its face inferior. And it's a significant change. But yeah, they end like surprising. you know when you're writing this awesome work. Obviously, the movie, a lot of its dialogue and stuff is lifted right out of there. Um, yeah, you know, you don't know that maybe there's a better way to do something because you're you're too close to it. Sure. That is. That. Did, did you get from the book that she initially said I'm not going to call it, and then she just got afraid and 
you know, called it. The yeah, end. yeah. I think there's like a lot of pressure to call it, and she sure, finally does like prisoner's the, the dilemma. Old man like, and... you know, you, if you don't cooperate, you're probably going to die. Mm-hmm. If you do cooperate, you literally have a fifty fifty chance of of winning until you right. find out that sugar sugar's uh, coin is double headed or something. Uh, sure, some yeah. shit like that. Well, you always go double tails if you're going to do double a trick coin. Go double tails because mm. everybody calls heads. Do they? I do. See, I'm a I'm a contrarian, so I like to call tails. Okay. <laughs> hasn't worked out for me in our working relationship. No, it hasn't. I, I, we tend to... That, we have our own coin of destiny here, our yep, coin of doom. Yep. Uh, that determines all actions within the Bald Move Empire. Pretty much. <laughs> Day-to-day type stuff, anyway. Yep. And uh, it, I, I wish we'd kept a running total, because I'm pretty sure it's about 80-20 in your favor. Probably. I had to guess. Sounds right. Which, God damn it, either this coin's not properly weighted or the law of average is going to kick in and you're going to have a rough year or two coming up, but I don't know. Yep. Uh, I also, so you said there's not a lot of humor, but I thought there's a lot of understated humor in, like, especially if you know the central West Texas area, that, like, the clothing store guy, guy and the guy comes in, he needs boots, and then he comes in the second half of the movie, needs right. everything but the the... <laughs> And sure. the clothing store guy's not plussed about it. He's like, uh, bet that you don't see this very often. He's like, yes, sir, it's unusual. Right. Like, I thought that was super funny. It is. There's also some really like morbid black humor in this where Anton Sugar goes next door and kills three men in his socks. Like, right. He's taking off his boots and he's walking around this hotel in his socks, killing right. people. Right. Uh, pretty good stuff. I, I, I just can't. One thing I can't abide cannot abide calling a screwdriver a scroogey scroogey yeah I don't... he calls it a scroogey is this a man who would call a screwdriver a scroogey I, I i don't know if that's a regional kind of thing like they call uh water fountains bubblers and on in uh rhode right. island or massachusetts i they don't do. know it's uh it's goofy until until you live down there and that's all you know i guess uh, so what did you make of the fact that the last time we see moss alive he is winning the morality war. Yeah. Uh, that he's not going to sleep with this woman who's obviously gagging for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then next time we see him, the hotel's all shot up and he's dead. Did he fall from grace in that? I mean... I don't think so because she's still at the pool. Because she ends up dead in the pool and uh-huh. he ends up dead in his hotel room. So I don't think so. Okay. So what was I think the point he held of out. that? Was that just like, you know, a, a nice little vignette? I mean, I think I think you need to at that point show something that gives Josh Brolin's character a little hint of positive morality because at that point he's made the decision not to save Carla Jean. Uh, he's made the decision to keep the money and not go to the police, whoa, endangering whoa, whoa. himself and his family. He's made the decision not to save Carla Jean. I think he's made right. The decision. No, Anton gives well not to take the easy way like the sure way to save her to think that he can do it himself and i, I feel like that do you think that he believed bet. anton that's the thing like i don't well maybe not like i, I feel uh, like killing anton is the only thing in his mind that would save carla jean it could be but I mean, that, certainly like not going to the police and protecting his family from okay. these killers that's a moral decision that that is not it is not passable. I mean, he no, wants he was, to keep the money. It's, he's it's, greedy. It's classic Walter White. Like, if right. he had gone through, there's a couple places where, yeah, yeah, you and I would have taken the money, but the second, you know, dangerous people. The second people, a killer comes after me, I'm probably going to. Yeah, if I survive the encounter with the fucking dog. Right. Um, but like, that's well, the thing. Like, if, if, if he would have gone through and looked for the transponder, which I, why would you? 
Uh, I guess I would have. I would it take was the on money the top the bag, fucking yeah. layer. I would have taken it out and counted it and seen if there's like you know. And it's weird to me why like when he's in his hotel room looking in the bo- in the bag, he doesn't dump the money out. Uh huh. Like dump the money out, strip the bag. Like it might be built into the bag. Right. You need to you need to ditch the receptacle. Yeah. And put the money in a backpack or something. Agreed. And search every square inch of it to make sure there isn't like a crazy dye pack or some sure. other shit in there. Yeah, you want to know all that uh, before you get you get too in, in too deep. I would think so. But uh, yeah, that if if uh, assuming I survived the dog, which probably I wouldn't. Uh, I'd probably drowned in the river or gotten ran over by the Jeep or gotten yeah. shot. Uh, I, I probably would have gone to the cops and been like, hey, uh, I'm going to put the best face on it. But <laughs> Here's what I would do. Take half the money out. I'd say, hey, I found this there money. You go. <laughs> there you go. Look at all this money I found. Right. So, uh, so I, I think it's to bring him back around to the side of good. Yeah. Uh, Although as far as to settle the score more. I, like. I didn't think any of his actions, you're right, they were kind of calloused and calculated on the fact that he was Full, you know, way too full of himself and, and how deadly he was. But then again, he'd been to Vietnam and they hinted that there's, you know, this this felt very um, Copperhead Road to me. Like this guy, uh, you, you know, he, he's got, he, he's seen a lot of shit and he's done a lot of shit and he feels very rough and competent and uh, he, he, this is his golden opportunity. This is his meal ticket. It's like no longer am I going to have me and my wife in this shitty trailer, and I have to hunt deer. To, you know, she's going to have some pretty dresses, and I'm going to have some fancy boots, and right. going to make it. Yeah, going to make it. This is a country for young men, and I'm a young man, and I'm going to make it. Sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, we talked about Tommy Lee Jones going into room 114, and how I thought it might be the bravest thing a person's ever done in cinema because you can. That's <laughs> okay. the thing. Like he's not the action. He's not. Like Tommy Lee Jones in The Fugitive, where nothing bad can happen to him. This is a fearful Tommy Lee Jones that is aware of his mortality and, and almost meta aware that a cop who's announcing retirement in a movie, <laughs> like he feels the bullseye on him at all times. Like, ah, damn it, here's another lock shot out. Yep. What am I doing here? But I'm a lawman, so here I go. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. There, there's a lot of other kind of. You know, not necessarily large themes in this movie, but little uh, nuggets of wisdom, I suppose. Like when he's talking to his uncle, he says basically all the time you spend trying to get back what you lost. It just means more is going out the door. Right. Uh, So let it go. Kind of like it's interesting because just this week there was an article I saw on Reddit where somehow they scientifically studied how people feel when they've gotten revenge Okay, and how that like psychologically, it's uh, people that don't get the revenge they want are healthier than the people that do get the revenge. Mm-hmm. It's an empty, hollow feeling, and I, I thought that was interesting. That essentially, if you if you go around and you worry about the things that you've lost and wanting to right those wrongs, what are you? You know, like you said, what what's going out the front door? What's 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 bleeding? Yeah, you know, you're not you're not. Uh, what if you never get that blood back? Yeah. Uh, or, or when you do, it doesn't it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't actually give you back what you've lost. Exactly. Uh, you could be making making the most of your life instead of spending it on the past. Uh, speaking of ambiguities of the film, I'm still a little confused about the relationship between Wells Woody Harrelson's character and Josh Brolin's Moss. In what way? So chronologically. Uh, Wells tracks Moss down at the hospital in Mexico where he's staying. 
it seems that Moss rebuffs his efforts to, you know, form some kind of alliance where he gets the money and he gives him a cut and he helps him with the sugar problem. Does uh, he? Well, I'm just saying that's where they lead the conversation. Next scene, we see Woody Harrelson walking on the bridge and right. like retracing his steps and almost preternaturally determining, oh, this light, oh, I'm going to climb up here and I'm going to, you know, look and, oh, there's the briefcase. And then he doesn't collect it. Next time we see Woody Harrelson, he's getting held up by Sh- Sugar. Sugar kills right. him. And then Llewellyn calls Woody Harrelson. Uh-huh. So did they? Did he make a deal that like recovered a brief? If he did, why didn't he recover the briefcase then and there? So my impression of this is, yeah, he did make a deal because how else would Woody Harrelson know where the money is? Um, Woody Harrelson goes there, he checks it out, he says, "This is broad daylight. I can't go down here and get this money without I'm attracting gonna, attention." Right. I'm going to wait. Okay. To get the money, and he goes back to his hotel to bide his time. But by then, Sugar's already taken. I guess usurped power over this hotel like how many clerks has he killed at this point because the guy he kills says at 10 a.m my shift is changing and i assume someone else is coming to relieve him so Uh has he killed another clerk because days have passed at this point yeah so he just he's running this hotel now sugar's at the front (laughs) desk in his bellhops uniform right uh taking phone calls just waiting for the assassins to show up you don't want to ring the bell at the counter (laughs) you don't you really don't no, because uh, because he'll come out and use the captive bolt gun on the bell, and it'll right. split your ears open. Also, uh, he doesn't carry luggage. Forget that. <laughs> no. It's right out. No, I mean it, apparently, I, I he doesn't even have uh, a car. Like if he needs a car, he goes and murders this person and gets the car. If right. he needs clothes, he goes and buys them off a little kid or you know whatever he needs. So, I mean, that's my assumption. That was another... That he's waiting to collect it later. That later. was another interesting moment. The Comparing and contrasting the little kid who selflessly is like, I'll give you the shirt off my back to the college kids that were trying to extort Llewellyn for beer. Uh-huh. Like, and then the, the one of his friends, like, like, look at this guy. Is this the guy you really want to take for a ride? Right. I, I don't know exactly where I'm going with this or what that means, but I thought it was an interesting contrast. Yeah, I mean, it could be a, a little glimmer of hope in the, the no country for old men sort of feeling yeah. where, you know, some, some of these kids, you know, some of the younger men are not as bad as, you know, a oh, sugar sure. they're not all, would be. They're not all weird cult member right. rapists preying on or old e- people and cashing social security checks, you know. <laughs> right, or even just college kids trying to get everything they can out of right. out of this guy who's right. clearly not in a good way. Uh, I don't have a lot more to say about this. Again, the movie looks amazing. It's visually arresting, and, and it, it, it uses that impact to get away with like ludicrously long scenes that are quiet and nothing's happening. Like, uh, you know, what? How long do you think passed between, um, like Moss becoming aware of the transponder and then Anton Sugar sliding up? Like two, three minutes, no dialogue, just to look on jo- Josh Brolin's right. face and yeah. Uh, you know, trusting the audience to be smart enough to kind of keep up. I thought that was kind of incredible. So I think my favorite scene in this whole movie is that scene. Not the one, not him actually finding the transponder, but everything that happens after that. Sure. I mean, because that it, shootout and, oh my that God. goes from hotel room to street is amazing. It really is. It's a cat and mouse game between people that feel very evenly matched. Absolutely. And, and, and you it, wonder if it was little. If it wasn't for the wild card of the Mexican cartel hunting Moss, if he wouldn't have triumphed. 
Yeah, maybe. Like I mean, he, he did just get had, the jump. If it was on, just one on one, he would have yeah. been able to take him. But it was essentially one on one on an endless sea of mooks. Right. Uh, the, the thing that I really like about it is the, the little details that they have, like this. So, so he gets in this truck, right? And he's he's like, "Drive me out of here! You need to get me out of here!" And and he's trying to hitchhike with this guy. Oh God! And his the guy gets shot explode. in the neck, yeah. and then through the head multiple yeah. times. And then he's got to drive this car down the road, and he sees the shots coming from in front of him. And he's like, "Well, I, I can't see where he is." So what he decides to do is duck down, drive straight forward, watch his side window, and when yeah. that gets blown out, he knows he's past him. Right. That's just such a small detail that is so cool. They really and so sell effective. how smart these guys are. They really do, yeah. Uh, I mean, everything from him hiding the money in the air vents uh, right. where and it was accessible getting, from another room. Getting the room on the other side so that uh, right. it put the cartel guys off. Uh, yeah, super smart. And I don't know that there's any music playing during that scene. I don't think so. Or if it is, it's so minor like, that I didn't even notice it. I mean, that's the contrast in The Godfather because like it it mostly under uh, not undercut it props up its big yeah. yeah under there you go underscores its big moments like uh michael in the hospital has got that dong yeah. dong and like this 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 like tense tension building music whereas that's essentially the same scene right. or you think of the music yeah. behind like the settling all family business you know the uh-huh. operatic stuff like those are essentially the same scenes and no country for old man's like fuck your music I don't need it. Don't need it. Like people are going to not be breathing in the cinema, and the silence is going to be, uh, it, it, it's it's going to be like in a church in there because people just are on pins and needles about what's going to happen next. Yeah. Uh, I'm. I, I have one more question. Okay. As far as ambiguity goes, so there's the shootout at the hotel between the cartel and. Someone, maybe Josh Brolin, maybe Anton's part of it. Yeah, he we don't really know. Cross, crossfire, sure. Yeah, he might have. But Tommy Lee Jones rolls up, and they do the investigation there, and then he goes back to that room later on, where Anton is hiding. Is Anton actually hiding in that room? And if so, how does he get out of that room without Tommy Lee Jones seeing him? Well, I, I want to suggest something crazy here in a second. Uh, if you don't bring it up first. The Wikipedia article asserts that Sugar is hiding behind the door. Okay. However, if he is... Uh-huh. And I, what's weird is I thought that I remembered a scene where we see this perspective of, like, Sugar hiding behind the door and Tommy Lee Don't standing in the doorway. Yet, I was... You don't ever that, see that. That yeah. didn't... Okay. Uh, and I don't know whether that was an expanded edition or if there's a director's cut, because I know that there's uh, there's deleted scenes that one can, can go out and hmm. see. But it's I, clearly in the movie two separate ang- camera angles. Yeah. Um, if, if he is, in fact, hiding behind the door, then that implies that Tommy Lee Jones did see him and decided that he essentially blinked. Like, I, okay, here's the guy, him. I'm just going to walk out, and then I'm going to retire. Because that's essentially what happens. Bad guy gets away scot-free. Well, with a So you're saying uh, Tommy Lee Jones walks in the bathroom, checks the window, comes back out and sees him, and then walks right out the door? And retires. Okay. That's, I mean, I don't have, that's not exactly what I think happened. I think, right. Sugar, this is kind of like one of those things where uh, he is a little bit supernatural. 
Okay. Like when Tommy like Lee Jones, force. like he could have, and I think it's it's fairly easy that he could have taken his boat uh, boots off and like moseyed out the front door while Tommy Lee Jones is flipping the lights on in the bathroom. Sure, I don't have a huge problem with that. But I do think that we def uh, de- Sugar is definitely in that room when he walks in. Okay, I'm gonna propose something crazy here. All right, I want to hear it. That these two separate camera angles, one showing Sugar, one showing Bell. Mm-hmm are actually happening in two separate rooms and that this is a callback to what uh-huh. to what Llewellyn does with hiding the money and taking the second room and pulling the money out. Why would Sugar do that? Uh I don't know. That's that's I, I couldn't tell you exactly why he would do that. I can understand why he'd pop the, the lock and be lying in wait for the cartel to be or well from, by this from time, what I can tell like the there are two rooms cordoned off in, in this crime scene, like this one and the one next door, where mm. I think the Mexican was killed, okay. like one of the Mexicans was killed. Okay. Like they were staying in the room next to Josh Brolin, and one of them was killed there. So he might be in that other room. I'm not certain. But why would he take the money from uh, Josh Brolin's room, from Llewellyn's room, and then go into the other room and wait around? That yeah. wouldn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. It was just one theory I saw floating around. Yeah, I mean, that's... And I like it because it's a callback and all that, but that's, I think, by far the most ambiguous scene in the whole movie. Yeah. And, again, I don't know if it's... I guess that's the thing that I think, but how do you describe something of, like, you think that's what's happened, but you don't personally subscribe to it? I, I get what you're saying, You know, like, the fact that Tommy Lee Jones it. would see him there and then walk out and then just read that was like, that's it. Like, I, this is doing damage to my soul. Mm-hmm. I'm, at, you know, I, I was brave enough to go in here, but now my worst fears are confirmed that I'm going to whistle past this particular graveyard. I, I yeah. don't know what you, but I, that's what I think happened, but I don't have any proof for it. And I, I also, it feels kind of unsatisfying that... Because they could have showed right, that. Right, where I think the callbacks feel a little more satisfying. That would have been like a moment where like the German sneaks down the staircase with uh, what what was uh, Upchuck, the, uh, the translator. Right, in uh, After he Pratt just Ryan. Mellish, was that the guy's name? I don't Or was that the guy he names. killed? But, but it's that kind of thing where you see like death walking out and like, shh, you know, that, that would have been a, like a really chilling scene. Right. And they didn't go there either because they liked ambiguity or because they were trying to imply something else yeah and again it's right it might within... just be the cohen's liking ambiguity because they do and they do that's like that's kind of like uh you know how did uh fucking uh uh shit the dude from the first season of fargo uh i've completely spaced his name the demonic character uh like... bob bob what's his name <laughs> lester no Nope. Nope, not the other guy. Uh, Malvo. Uh, yeah. Lauren Malvo. Lauren Malvo. Right. Like, how did he get out of the basement? Remember, like, that thing where he's down and... and or, or, right. or there's another scene right. where, like, he okay. supernaturally turns out the lights and disappears from, like, a bathroom with no exit. Yeah. I think sometimes, and, and just like, uh, you know, the, the Mad Max dude in uh, uh, Raising Arizona, like, sometimes they like to throw in a little bit of impossibility to give it an other world quality. Yeah. And that Fargo stuff might've been a direct callback to this scene. Mm. Cause Tommy Lee Jones goes in that bathroom, right. checks that window. That's still locked. Right. Uh, I don't know. Uh, that's, that's one of the biggest questions I have, I guess. Um, okay. y- you know, other than, I guess, does Anton die in the end? 
Uh, I suppose there are other questions like why was the transponder in the money in the first place? But you I think can Stephen never know Rude that. Is a smart businessman. He, yeah. he wanted to protect his investment. Right. And, and I don't think it needs an answer in the same way that that bathroom scene does. Right. Or that hotel, hotel room scene does. Well, we have a, a no country sized mailbag uh, <laughs> that I don't even know what that means. <laughs> But uh, we have a fairly large mailbag from our uh, contributors here. Would you like to get into that, or do you have a couple more closing thoughts? Uh, there were okay. One more, one more slight ambiguity here. Okay. Um, Woody Harrelson is talking to Stephen Root, and uh, he's trying to to make jokes and stuff. And Stephen Root isn't interested. He doesn't think he's funny. Uh, before he leaves, he says, "Hey, I counted the floors in this building from the outside, and there's one missing." Now. Some people, okay, one way to interpret that is, you know, the standard, like, 13-story, like, 15-story building. Sometimes they skip 13 because it's unlucky. And in the elevator, they'll just put, like, it'll number them up to 16, and 13 will be left out. Right. I think that's the correct interpretation. And And that's him trying to make another stupid joke. And it also fits in with the themes of luck and fate. Okay, fair enough. The other, (laughs) and I think you're right. I think Mm -hmm. that's what he means. The other possibility... That floor represents limbo that the character... (laughs) Right. (laughs) No, but that there is actually a floor that's not numbered in the the public elevators and that there's some nefarious shit going on on, for, let's say, the top floor. I mean, that's a plausible theory, but there's nothing within the universe to suggest that. Right. I mean, it's very much like the people that try to figure out what's really in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction. Well, it's Vin Rang's, yeah. Vin Rang's soul. I mean, uh-huh. he's got the Band-Aid on his neck, and that's where or everyone knows that a, the devil takes the soul out. And right, or it's a what, gold bar. What would glow gold? Knows, but the, yeah. What's more beautiful than a human soul? And like, uh, okay, uh, that's the story you want to tell yourself. It's cool. It's a cool, cool, cool theory, but... Yeah. I don't it's think... a Men in Black-esque yeah. universe in a, a keychain yeah. sort of thing. No. Uh, okay, so I, I think there are ways to tell that he's just trying to make another joke here. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it that's follows another text. lame joke of, like, validating parking, right. something that no one in this situation would have reasonably asked for. And the guy, like, makes it clear that you're trying my patience, so Woody follows it up with yet another one. Sure. Just to be like, I don't just give a fuck. Just to stick it to him. Yeah, yeah, this is the, you know, I'm... And it's interesting, because they set up Woody Harrelson's character of Wells to be this big swinging dick. And, and he does he nothing. is not big nor swinging. Uh, right, honestly, I feel you could have cut him out of this movie entirely and lost nothing. He's a flim-flam man. Well, I don't think you lose anything, honestly. <laughs> You're probably right, but this film is actually kind of trim already. It's just a scant two-hour runtime. I think so, you like, cut it down to 145 and leave him out, frankly. Huh. Uh, I don't know. I feel like he's the anti-Tommy Lee Jones. The guy who what, is not... What, in that he's fresh-faced and... Like, he, he just doesn't... Well, yeah, he doesn't have <laughs> and a corrupt. face that looks like a catcher's mitt made of butthole or out of buttholes. <laughs> uh, or an under underfilled bag of walnuts <laughs> half or, a bag of walnuts or a summer squash that decided for some reason to hang around the winter uh <laughs> or, or an underfilled bratwurst either way uh, a face that looks like at some point he got he was trying to pick out the holy grail and got the answer half right and half wrong <laughs> <laughs> somehow i don't even know how that happens but that's what his face looks like it, to me it looks like a pottery student's failed final project <laughs> <laughs> Please, please, he left Tommy the, the bust of Tommy Lee Jones in the kiln too long. <laughs> now uh, it's all cracked and craggy. Oh man, um, no! Like that, that Tommy Lee Jones is uber aware of his mortality and his limitations. 
and his ability to confront these things. Whereas Woody Harrelson, he is all talk. He's all all hat and no cattle, as they say in Texas. Okay, um, I like it. That and 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 you know, Tommy Lee Jones survives. This guy doesn't. Yeah, which is you know, it's a weird worldview. I don't, you know, what I, I don't. It's one of those things where I don't subscribe to the worldview espoused in this t- show. Um, Can you define that easily? The, the worldview you don't subscribe to? That the world is a terrible, evil place that you cannot confront it without being changed by it, and it's best to avoid it. To look away. To, to yeah. look away and to, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe do as much good as you can, but you know when the getting's good and, and, and get out of there because, okay. you know, you're also, I think you're supposed to you say, oh, look how bad things were in the 80s and it's so much worse nowadays, whereas any, you know, any measurable statistic you want to look at shows that we are far better off in 2016 than we are in the 80s or the 70s. Right. Or really any point in history. Like, and I think that's... Violent crime, uh, yeah. t- uh, 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 you know, rapes, uh, all this, every every measure of, of statistics you can use says that we are in a safer, gentler environment than we've ever been. We are right. not, like, we were not in a golden age and we've slowly slid to hell. That's yeah. the story that everyone wants to tell you for whatever reason, because it sells newspapers, it gets it keeps you glued to the sets. Like I, sure. You know, I don't think there's any nefarious, like, New World Order type shit. I think it's just people trying to make a buck. But, but as yeah. a result... You know, if it leads, it bleeds. Well, if it stops bleeding, it's no longer leading. Fucking magnify the shit that bleeds. Um, but I think that that's kind of. Uh, but but I don't have to subscribe to some things worldview to see the merits of its artistic vision. Right. Like you know, right. Fight Club is still awesome, even if I think it's dumb that people think that Tyler Durden had a point. Okay. <laughs> you know? Sure. Uh, you know, Mr. Robot is still unambiguously great, even though I feel like a lot of the shit that they're trying to say about modern day society is heavy handed and, 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 and ultimately not factually correct. Sure. Um, and honestly, I don't know that this movie necessarily tries to say one way is correct and one way isn't of, of viewing the world because there are several different outlooks espoused here. I mean, Tommy Lee Jones in the beginning is lamenting. The fact that he's, you know, essentially that he's got to carry a gun, that he can't be like these old old lawmen. The ones um, that who, got paralyzed in gunfights. <laughs> well, who who reputedly, like, didn't carry guns right. and may, and did just fine, you know? Were able to saying. carry out the law without it. But then you have the story of the uncle, like right. you said. that shows that he was That shows that, that the people have always been the same, the, Maybe the problems are always the same. Right. Yeah. So, like, you do... You do have a couple of different worldviews, and then you've got you know what Tommy Lee Jones comes around to at the end, which is there are like it's a harsh, unfeeling world mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and there's nothing I can do to change that. Right. Uh, so you have like three different worldviews kind of summed up in this movie, and and I don't know that the the movie really picks one. I guess it leans toward well, Tommy so Lee Jones' epiphany I guess at the end. I forgot to mention this because I wrote it down in my notes, and now I'm kind of going through for a second pass. Um, the, the thing that convinced me about Tommy Lee Jones not being comforted by his father's dream is, he says, and then I woke up. Like, right. I was presented this comforting story that I've got this warm place prepared for me, but the Cohen's nihilism kicks in and says, then I woke up and realized that I'm just heading into the abyss. Or it could be, I woke up, meaning I'm not sure. I'm yeah. not sure if that works out for anybody. Right. You know? like, right, right. 
th- there are multiple ways, and it all depends on how you interpret it. It's art, right? Uh, uh, but I, I don't think I, I do think it leans in the direction you said, yeah, which is nihilism. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's a well worn uh, Cohen Brothers thing to to wallow in. I mean, sure. sometimes they treat it. As a, it's almost right. weird. Like maybe this is the young Coens versus the progressively older cousins. Like they're kind of cavalier and joking about it in in the, the Big Lebowski, and yet a lot of their later work seem to embrace it as a fact of life. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, are we ready for feedback now? Uh, also, speaking of Coen brother stuff, we are never getting the feedback. We're never, never going to happen. <laughs> uh, there's apparently a lot of parallels to Raising Arizona in this. I. I've recently watched Raising Arizona, and the only one I saw was the trailer looks real similar. But uh-huh. it I wouldn't surprise me. I, I mean, those those kind of unstoppable forces, the assassins, like yeah. finding a bunch of money. You know, the ha- money is the having child. this MacGuffin sort of thing. But that's mm-hmm. kind of standard fare for movies. It's yeah, not, it's not in particular at Raising Arizona. I mean, if you you know you boil down the stories, setting. the archetype of like you know man versus man, man versus himself, man versus nature. It's right. like all movies are the same. Yeah, you know it, it does have a, a similar feel at times. Although Raising Arizona is much funnier, in my opinion, oh. much more ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's <laughs> that's your opinion. I, man. I think it's a I fact. Think that's a fact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Raising Arizona is objectively hilarious. Uh, now, can we get the feedback? Sure. All right. Keith Alejandro says, "No country, and there will be blood." Were filmed at the same time in the same deserted section of West Texas. What? In fact, production on No Country for Old Men was halted at one point because of the out of control der- uh, oil derrick fire and smoke that was on the horizon from the "There Will Be Blood" shoot. Wow. I thought that was a pretty cool little detail that yeah. uh, he had picked up in his uh, either DVD watching or uh, IMDb. Uh, diving uh matt the reamer from boston said i saw this in the theaters back in 2007 and really liked it but haven't rewatched it in full until just last night when i first saw the movie i was very very angry that moss slash borland uh, brolin died off screen upon rewatch i'm not so upset ultimately the movie was more about bell and jones even though moss brolin got more screen time mm-hmm. screen time during the first watch, I would describe it as jarring to see Moss or uh, dead, which I think is the point. We've switched to Joan or Bell's point of view at that point, and he was shocked and saddened by it. I've never read the original 2005 uh, uh, Cormac McCarthy book. When I saw it in the theater, one of my friends that had, uh, much like the book versus show on Game of Thrones, he had negative reactions to it. Uh, the one I remember even now is his response to the motel scene, which apparently was quite a bit different. Hmm. But again, I haven't read the book, so I can't really commentary. I He did express amazement here that, think about that, the original book came out in 20, 2005, <laughs> yeah. and the movie was out in 2007. It's a pretty quick turnaround. Like, the Coens must have, like, optioned that and turned it around. But then I, I also did some research for my Orange and New Black podcast last night that they... They make passing reference to this book in Orange and the New Black. They show the cover of it. I forget what it's. It's the Yiddish Policeman's Union is what it was. Uh, that that director, that that author, the Coens contacted him within like months of the book's release and optioned the film rights. Hmm. And they made a script for it. And then they didn't do anything with it. And two years later, they reverted the rights back. So maybe that's something they do. Like they're like voracious readers and like, holy shit, this is something we want to sink our teeth into. And it either works out or they, it doesn't. But, but they seem very agile. I mean, yeah, this movie seems like something that would take a fuck ton of planning and, and research. And it just doesn't seem like there's enough time in two years to make that all happen. 
They're quick. They're good at it. They are. They've had some experience by this point. Uh, bonus points for firearms realism with the Moss uh, Brolin uh, action and beginning. Mm. Uh, he says, no comment on the noiseless silencers, though. I write this off as a cinematic license, which I'm okay with, since it made Sugar even more of a gro- uh, ghostly, unstoppable silent killer. So I did... I actually looked up if it's possible to silence a shotgun, and I was surprised. I found a YouTube video of a guy testing a shotgun silencer, and on the video, the firing pin sound was louder than the report of the gun, and he said if he described it in person, it's like a person clapping their hands together. Wow. So shockingly effective. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Although... You know, the shotgun itself is apparently anachronistic. Like, really? it, it was made in 1987, according oh. to what I read, and like, it's only 1980 in the movie. So, okay. whatever. Well, I don't care. There's those types of guns for sure. If that, that yeah, particular yeah. One. But no, I, I, I thought that I wouldn't have believed. Uh, my, my first thought was like, there's no fucking way you can have a non-destructive silencer that's effect. And it's, it's certainly not the that that you see in a scene, right. but. You know. Yeah, silence PP7 from GoldenEye sound. Right, right. Uh, on reflecting on some of the reasons I like this movie so much, I realize that all of the players in this cat and mouse game are clever, but not perfectly so, making them more realistic and three-dimensional. Mm-hmm. Sugar, for example, clever enough to take off his shoes when sneaking around, but not so clever that he doesn't get shot. Moss, clever enough to do everything he does, but he still gets beat by three assailants. Wells, clever enough to find Moss in a Mexican hospital, but not clever enough to avoid Sugar. No character does anything unbelievably stupid. They just get momentarily bested, like Bell's fake story about the farmer to Moss's wife. Yeah, that's the thing that really sells the cat and mouse game, that these are not... This isn't like fucking Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible. This is, you know, like a a believably smart, resourceful characters trying to kill each other. And, you know, the idea that we talked about where Tommy Lee Jones may or may not actually put together that bolt, that captive bolt pistol thing. Hmm. He might right. not even understand what he's seeing necessarily. Well, Ivan he even pointed out the like, can you imagine? He he said, I can't remember the exact words, but he's like, if you can, uh, I ch- I defy you to try to imagine this crime. And he tells the story about the people that are abducting senior citizens, torturing them, killing them, and cashing social security checks. Yeah, I feel like that's this like he literally can't imagine do, uh, adapting this way to efficiently slaughter cattle to human beings. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, but we already talked about that. Uh, also, we didn't talk about the performances. Like, I, I mentioned right. Kathy McDonald in, in passing, but, like, everybody here crushes it. We talked a lot about Tommy Lee Jones, who plays almost like uh, – uh, he, he gives a kind of performance that, like, Johnny Cash did uh, in, in that late cover album. He does, like, something's like, man, you, you didn't know he's capable of throwing 100-mile-an-hour heat right. still. And he does. Like, there's something about – his weather-beaten butthole face, <laughs> desiccated cabbage, and face. His, how sad his eyes are! Like this <laughs> right. has really beat him down. And also, yeah. uh, Javier Bardem is a Bardem. Uh, uh, I think it's Bardem. Bar- Bardem. This Bardem. guy is almost too good because yeah. I can't think of anything I've seen him in besides the James Bond film. Okay, sure. Uh, which was Skyfall, right? He was in the the, the big in bad in Skyfall. I don't remember. Uh, he, he play like, he, I, I, he, he can't be a character actor because he's just so undelible with these type of insane, unhinged performances. Yeah. Yeah. His, his eyes, uh, his smile, it's all, ugh. 
Yeah, like the creepy. poster that just like just 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 has his eyes kind of overlooking everything. I've seen one version where it's just you know it's not his whole face. It's kind of like just a like it's just really creepy. Hmm. This guy is just unfucking hinged. Uh, it's what makes the scene in the uh, general store, or the gas station, work. Just he's so fucking menacing. He just needs his nucky role. He needs the role that takes him from bug-eyed freak <laughs> to respectable actor. And I think, <laughs> I think if he could find that nucky type role, there you go. He'd be good. There you go. Uh, let's move on to his next point. More confirmation that the movie is really more about Bell and not Moss. During my Wikipedia deep dive, it was mentioned that the book and movie title are taken from a Yates poem about the agony of growing old. Right. Bell is clearly struggling with this. He can't deal with the world he's living in as a police officer or as a retiree. His father and uncle died young, and I think he expected this too, which is perhaps why he went into the motel room without backup. His ghostly killer wasn't there, so now he has to deal with growing old and time passing him by. Or, if you take my interpretation that I don't agree with, uh, (laughs) he wimped out on that moment, and that's why he's having a hard time dealing with himself in retirement. On rewatch, I noticed the reason Aquaman was dead. Uh, We talked about this, the fact that you, you know... If you're paying attention, you see how the crime scene has changed. So that explains almost everything, except for I'm still not sure how they tracked Moss to Del Rio. It's a good drive from Terrell County, but is the closest major border crossing. Perhaps they correctly guessed he would go there. How they track? So I I thought the transponder was still in the back. The Mexicans, the reason Sugar killed Stephen Root is because he was incensed that he didn't trust him to do the job. Although, sure. I don't underget I don't get Sugar's game here at all because he kills the guys that he's working for like he just seems like he's I don't know yeah. what he's doing. He's gone rogue is what Stephen Root says I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but, the, so. but he'd given the transponder to the the Mexican cartel as well to and the more people right. looking the better. So that's how Sure, to the cartel to and to just, Wells just, to everybody. And yeah. he's essentially doing the same thing Sugar's doing which is driving around until you get a little a ping on it. Right. So um, did hiding stuff in ducks become a trope before or after this? This could be based on the order I've watched movies and shows in, but I feel like this could have started it. I don't know, man. Fucking around in, in Vince has been a trope for, like, ever. Like, James Bond does it. Mission Impossible does it. Like, hiding right. stuff in Vince. Um, I'm trying to think what other instances I've seen this, but I don't know. I, I'm I'm not equipped to answer this question. To the extent okay. that it's a trope, and whether this... I mean, no way a movie that came out in 2007 started anything. Sure, sure. You know, as far as this, like, yeah, you can say that Matrix started the, you know, time stop, wire foo shit, yeah. fine. But as far as, like, hiding things in Vince or things like that, I don't know about that. Uh, Gary Turco says, Tommy Lee Jones' character says he makes a pot of coffee about once a week. As a lover of coffee, I found this to be gross and a bit odd. Coffee's cheap. Not sure why the writers included this bit of small talk. Uh, this is kind of a joking email, but what you're the coffee guy. Now, when he says I make a pot of coffee about once a week, was he saying that he drinks week old coffee, or was he says I make about that's about as much as I drink? Like I, you know, I make a pot every once in a while. No, I think he actually like so coffee. When you get like, you know, okay, barring any kind of fancy thermos contraption mm-hmm. uh when you get about four hours out on a freshly brewed pot of coffee that's just sitting there to cool uh-huh. 
it doesn't change much after that. Yeah, it's it's about as bitter as it's ever going to be. So it, it, it gets to its maximum that, level of shit, and then yeah, and eventually it'll go bad, but it takes a while. Yeah, like I wouldn't be like mortally scared to drink a week old pot of coffee if it didn't mm-hmm. have anything floating in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, and it's not going to taste any worse than it did eight hours after you brewed it. Okay, so I could see this guy making a pot of coffee once. And a I feel like this is like this is uh, this is to sell that this this Texas character like he doesn't really care about right. creature comforts. No, and you can I mean look at his house. Mm-hmm. Come on, mm-hmm. what's wrong with his house? It's just a shithole. It's is cluttered. It? You didn't see everything just. All horribly dirty cats jumping everywhere. Like, yeah, his place is a absolute. That's, a, that's his uncle's shithole. house. That's his uncle's house with all the cats. He's the one that brewed the coffee once a week. Oh, because yeah, well, he's like Tommy Lee Jones character. So he just gave me bad information. Right? No, it's okay. his uncle who says I brew a coffee. I brew it once a week and I throw it out. Okay, whatever's left over. Okay, gotcha. You know, this is a weird cat guy. So what? You know, what do you do? Maybe he brews it for his cats. I don't know. Maybe that's why they're jumping <laughs> they all over want the place. Caffeinated cats. Man. I don't, but maybe he does. <laughs> uh, you know, he's out there. He's lonely. He wants some entertainment. <laughs> uh, Steven says, "I'd like your thoughts on Javier Bardem's lock shooting air gun." Uh, also, would you take the money? I feel like we've talked about the captive bolt yeah. gun enough. Yep, captive it's a great like. I remember um, one of the elders at our hall was somewhat notorious for watching rated R films. Uh, like, it is, uh, the, oh, the, yeah, Larry. Okay. Not yeah. the, the, the I thought you were going to go the Russ route. Here. No, 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 no. Okay. Um, and this film, like, really gave him the heebie-jeebies. Uh, he confided to me that he'd watched it. He's like, he wanted to know if I had, because he knows that I was kind of sly about watching him every once so in a while. So he could bust you. And he was just, it, particularly, it's like this captive bolt gun. He's like, there was something yeah. so cold and menacing. Like, it really gave him chills. Uh, sure. Yeah. I mean, he's slaughtering people, literally slaughtering people like cattle, because this is something they actually use on ranches and it's to something slaughter that you're not, cattle. Like, I, if someone came up to me with that, I wouldn't feel immediately threatened. And right. by the time, like, he got up against your head, it's all over. Like, I guess that's yeah. what's... The really scary thing about it you is... You don't recognize it as a weapon, no, necessarily. No, it's like, what is this? Are you going to test my breath for alcohol? And you're dead. By the time yeah. you're still grappling with what the fuck is going on, you're already dead. And that's a bit chilling. Here's the other thing that I found out in my reading about this captive bolt rifle or pistol thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is used on ranches to, to kill cattle right. um, for for slaughtering for to get their meat. Uh, it doesn't... So it's meant to stun them, actually. Uh, so, so like it doesn't damage the brain stem. Really? Like that's why they do it because it, it destroys a part of the brain that stuns them. And so their heart keeps beating. So when they bleed them, they can get all the blood out more easily. Okay. So not super humane. Uh, well, you know, as far as as slaughtering cattle goes, but, uh, convenient for getting the blood out, I guess. Okay. Which is why they do it. Uh, so it's extra creepy in that regard, in that it's not actually meant to kill for its intended purpose. It's meant to stun. But the cow would not recover, right? No, no. Okay, no. okay. It destroys that part of the brain. All right, gotcha. Um, let's see. And you, we both agreed we'd take the money. So, yeah. Uh, Connor B said the novel this film was based on got its title from the poem "Sailing to Byzantium" by William Butler Yeats. In it, the narrator states that he this is no country for old men and that therefore he is sailing to Byzantium to try and become a part of something that is eternal. 
This relates to one viewing of the film that takes all three of the main characters and their ideologies and de- deconstructs them. Their codes of conduct and behaviors are proven to not be correct by the end of the story. In this, they are all in search of something that will make them ideologically eternal. Anton has his moral code, the strange principles that Carson notes that he has. These principles are broken by Carla Jean when she states that only Anton can change her fate and not a coin. All throughout the film, we see Anton making decisions based on this code, and after he sees that it's broken, he decides to walk away from it all, I think, in search of something new. So he's got okay. the, the jewels going to go walk the earth kind of theory, too. Fair enough. Uh, Llewellyn has his money. To him, Anton is a hunter who's playing a game with him to get his satchel of cash. When he threatens Carla Jean, it bothers him so much that his story is no longer about money, but of defeating the boogeyman who's threatening his family. And this Llewellyn switches his ideology to be something that he believes will save him and his family from death. However, he's so blinded by this that he's caught off guard by the Mexican hitmen that do eventually kill him. Finally, Ed Tom Bell has his idea of old-fashioned justice. However, he finds his idea of justice does not work anymore when there are serial killer couples in California and Anton Sugar terrorizing West Texas. He ultimately walks away from all of it realizing that the area is just not ultra-violent now, but has always been, and his methods just simply can't defeat the seemingly random form of evil. He's now looking for meaning in his dreams in search of a new meaning in life. A question I have for you two is, what did you make of Bell's dreams? I First of all, I, I appreciate your analysis yeah. there, and it, it does seem like, Connor, we got around to the, the dreams. Like I, I felt like the whole idea of the money was just to let you know that the money part of the film wasn't important and the really important part is the meditation on fate and, mor- and mortality. Right. But, uh, and yeah. honestly, I feel like in a lot of ways, Tommy Lee Jones is the uh, ideal sheriff, the ideal law enforcement officer, honestly. Uh, you know, in that sort of Andy Griffith kind of way. <laughs> right. Where he's not he's not out to necessarily just enforce the law, he's out to help people. And whether yeah. that means ignoring certain things about the the letter of the law in order to, you know, he doesn't write the guy up for having an improperly secured load on his truck or whatever. He just says, hey, man, be more careful. Uh, yeah, that was a weird scene, too, we didn't talk about. Yeah, I think it's just establishing. Well, you know Tom what? I, I thought it was a red herring because when I, I remember when I first saw that, oh, I'm like, right. oh, shit, there's a truckload of corpses going by. Or and drugs or something. And you yeah. find out that it's it's just the, the that's the coroner. He's using yep. a fucking tow truck or something. Right. And, and ultimately, like, the letter isn't as important as the spirit and just, like, the spirit of law enforcement. I do think. Shouldn't be letter of the law necessarily. Yeah, I do think. I hope you're not suggesting that he wouldn't take Llewellyn to jail if he caught him. Because like he was doing that whole like I just want to help your husband. I mean that that's that I'm actually age not old cop ju- cop logic. Like I'm actually not certain they would have because what yeah. had Lou Allen done wrong at that point? He took money that he found in the desert. I think that's probably illegal. That's probably a crime. Like you find drug money and dead people in the desert, and you not only not report it, but you abscond on it with yourself. Right, but what's you're more, an accessory. What's more important? Like has he learned his lesson? He's well, got a no. fucking hunter coming after him trying to kill him. I think Lou Allen has learned the lesson. What's what good does it do to take this man to prison afterward? I mean, that's a fair question. I just don't know that Tommy Lee Jones is that enlightened. I don't know. Okay, you, you I thought a, he was. Maybe I'm I'm giving him too no, much no. Credit, I think your but... point your your point's entirely fair. Uh, okay. What you're suggesting is definitely there to be interpreted. I just I just saw it more as uh, him telling the wife that you you know I don't want your husband. Right, I don't want the right. bad guys. I'm just trying to protect them. Like that's that's what they all say. Sure. Anyway, um, what else? Uh, that's it. That's all the feedback we got. 
Okay. Uh, once again, I want to give shouts out to Keith Alejandro, Jen, Alex M, Matt DeReamer, Stephen, My Dear Deadly, Andy G, Jefferson B, Coco, 2MC, 2MC for me, Gary, Turco, Jasmine P, Andrew K, Connor B, Martin K, and Jeffrey Bowser. Uh, thank you very much for pitching together and commissioning this uh, community podcast. Uh, we'll be back next week with another one. Uh, if you'd like to find out how you can commission your own podcast, go to baldmove.com slash shop and click on the big film canister and uh, you will quickly determine how all that stuff works. Yeah. Uh, I think next one up might be Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which should be interesting. Ah, uh, yes. Since neither of us have seen it. Return to the Hellmouth. And it's a TV show. I've seen the first season. I have too. Yeah. Okay, in its entirety. So, uh, and, and None of the episodes we're reviewing are from the first season. Right. So... Um, <laughs> But I also think it's it's from the pre golden you know dawn of the golden age, so it's a little bit more perceived. It's like kind of like yeah. if you've seen the first two seasons of Star Trek, you could probably hang with season four or five. Yeah, uh, I'm hoping. I mean, because you know, like after the Lost fiasco, where right. you know multiple people were kind of unhappy with how we covered that, uh, I we 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 reached out to all the people that had outstanding TV show orders and being like, you should you should reconsider. Because clearly we can't guarantee any kind of product quality if we haven't seen the whole work and blah blah blah. Yeah, but uh, and they I, didn't want to. No, scene, both so. both of the people they, they're intrepid. They they want to hear our opinions, good, bad, ill advised, ill informed, whatever. And that's yeah. uh, the end but, of the day. But if Buffy has been assimilated by the Borg and unassimilated, I need to know that going in. <laughs> that's the thing. Um, I feel like that's the charm of the Commission podcast is. You pay your money for what you're passionate about, and you want to hear our honest opinions on it. Right. So uh, hopefully that'll that'll track, that'll, that'll track clean. But uh, yeah, baldmove.com slash shop if you want to see what your community commission options are, uh, which I need to refresh that. I've got a whole bunch of, like i got like a half a dozen that people have requested that I think would be good, and I've got a couple that uh, I'd like to put in as like an Aaron select too. Yeah. Uh, but that'll be changing probably before the end of the month. Uh, baldmove.com slash shop if you want to see those options. And uh, we will see you next time. See ya.